I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Every fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening. Plant care, growing your own fruit and vegetables, garden design, pest control and container ideas. Plus expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. I'm Tony Dickerson, one of the team of horticultural advisors based here at the RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this August edition, we meet the experts to find out about the beautiful Japanese art of bonsai. Inspiration for summer activities for families across the UK, including garden art, dragons and sword fighting workshops. And, as always, advice on seasonal tasks to tackle in your garden. But first, as regular listeners will know, once a month on the RHS Gardening Podcast, members of the advisory team answer your gardening questions from around the UK. So let's join my colleagues in the advice office to hear some of the queries that have been sent in this month. My name's Rob Sterling and I'm one of the horticultural advisors here at Wisley. My name is Guy Barter and I'm on the horticultural advice team here at Wisley. Polly Wiltshire has written in about her honeysuckle. Uh, She's planted two of them, different honeysuckles, side by side. One's thriving and all's looking good, but the other, the leaves, are yellowing and they've got black spots on the lower parts of the plant. And uh, Mrs Wiltshire is um, understandably puzzled about what's going on here. Well, certainly the yellowing of the leaves, especially on honeysuckle, black spots, we often have leaf spots and so on, but I'm wondering actually if it might be a bit of a powdery mildew, becomes very common once we get into the warmer months of the year, and uh, particularly this warm, dry, settled spell that we've enjoyed. Uh, but I think you probably have to go beyond this if the one is thriving, the other's not. Um, it's great being able to buy plants that are in flower and growing well but planting in a a bit of a heat wave can sometimes cause a problem i'm just wondering here rob if the problem might not be establishment um yes it could be particularly with the plants um growing up against a a fence or or even a wall um um, you know they could be in a, a dry situation and there the wall and the fence would actually provide a um, a, a dry situation very at the base of the wall um, because the rain itself will not be able to uh, pe- to penetrate uh, to you know to that closely um, so if the plant hasn't been watered um, particularly well or if it's uh, you know if it's been allowed to, uh, to depend solely on on rainfall um, it could be that the the root ball is quite dry and one of the one of the signs of uh, 
of uh, drought is um, uh, yellowing of the of the lower leaves. Um, there is another disease though that's uh, been that was recently introduced. It's only arrived in this country um, um, in two thousand, which is uh, honeysuckle leaf blight. Um, and that that thrives in in high humidity and poor air circulation. So, it's usually the lower leaves, um, you know, which would be affected first because that's uh, generally where, um, you know, the the humidity and the poor air circulation is highest. Um, and it's more predominant in the south of England as well. Um, unfortunately, there's no chemical treatment um, for it. And infected foliage really should be rem- be removed um, when um, it's first noticed. So um, that um, is is something just to be aware of if um, if you you live in that part of the country. Now, I'm reasonably hopeful this isn't a disease because the honeysuckles in the nursery will have been well soaked with um, fungicide to keep them in a a, a saleable condition Mm. and when this happens as often happens through establishment problems difficulties getting established I feel rather than leaving the plant to linger and um, depress you as as it slowly gets worse and worse better to take the bull by the horns and uh, dig it up and put it back in its pot and then commence a, a generous feeding regime uh, using a proprietary general purpose fertilizer, not k- let it dry out, keep it with a, a little dappled shade, perhaps nurse it back to health and have another go at planting it in in October. Um, and then, of course, nowadays, uh, nurseries and garden centres have become remarkably responsible in their replacement policy. So I hope you've kept uh, kept receipts and uh, they can be um, and, and often they can uh, refund with the greatest of ease many companies are offering a two-year no quibble guarantee and here at wisley we offer a five-year one and I, I guess on the, the subject of planting i mean i think we're all very enthusiastic about actually teasing out the roots of plants and gardeners often get confused because they do receive uh, quite contradictory information but the plants you buy are going to be grown in some organically rich compost whether it's peat based or increasingly now uh, non-peat based but very different from your garden soil so it's generally a good idea to actually tease out some of that medium and so when you plant into your soil whether it's a heavy clay or a light sand or whatever you encourage the roots to grow out and of course the obvious thing there uh, on planting water a plant well in but don't overdo it even in a heat wave a good watering once a week should do the job Right. Um, We have an email from Lucy Naylor, who lives in London. Uh, She says, I have or had a beautiful perennial poppy, Pride of Livermore, which I bought 10 years ago. Until this year, it's flowered fabulously. This year, it has totally disappeared. Not a trace of leaf or flower. I'm devastated. What can have happened? Guy. Well, this is not at all uncommon. And in fact, here at Wisley, we had a trial of perennial poppies and they started disappearing um, at a fair old clip and when we dug down uh, we found uh, a soil pest called a chafer grub eating them so it's well worth digging down and checking for soil pests um, if you don't find any then we have to think about the other potential cause and uh, one of those potential causes are fungal root rots of which there are a very great many so if you find rotted remains down there um, then that would uh, that would point to the, the fungal root rot so unfortunately, um, it's gone, and I fear gone forever. So um, replacement's going to be called for. To be on the safe side, dig out a, a hole in your soil about the size and shape of a bucket, put fresh soil in there, perhaps from your veg garden or something similar, and be ready to replant, um, say, in the autumn when it's a little moister 
and uh, not so wet. With these matters, um, naturally, it's a kind of unprofessional deformity that we have. We like to do detective work and we like to dig down and see what's going on and uh, to take it from there. So um, remember that uh, this answer really does lie in the soil and uh, that's where your investigation should begin, I think. The chafer grub um, is a particularly spectacular little beast. It has got a, a big white bulbous bottom, if I can use language like that, in the RHS, and a funny little dark head and a stiff bristly um, legs. And they uh, live just below the soil and they feast on roots and rootstocks, which are pretty unnutritious food. So they take um, several years to build themselves up to the size when they pupate. And then they turn into... Uh, beetles, the, the chafer beetle, which is a rather beautiful beetle that you often see. It doesn't do much harm in itself, but uh, it's quite common in gardens and some years abundant even, and it lays eggs at the at the roots of any susceptible plant. Happily, it rather prefers weeds to garden plants, but if perhaps your herbaceous border wasn't as um, scrupulously weed-free, it may have been attracted there by weeds and then, when it had finished off the weeds, moved on to your plants. Um. I'm wondering whether also that uh, the soil has, has got quite a, um, a key role to play um, in the disappearance of this uh, poppy because uh, I note that uh, Lucy lives in London, which usually um, has a fairly heavy clay soil, um, and uh, um, Oriental poppies, um, which is what uh, Pride of Livermore is, really doesn't thrive very well in soil that doesn't drain particularly well. Um, and um, so consequently, with the winter that we had last year, um, was thoroughly wet for, for weeks on end, it's quite possible that the uh, the soil itself became very saturated and the, the roots of the plant literally dr- drowned um, in, the, in the soil, particularly um, if the soil was um, a fairly stiff clay and um, hadn't been worked at all. Uh, so um, bearing that in mind, um, there's a possibility that that was the case. It would also be worthwhile looking at the soil before replacing it and perhaps um, trying to improve the soil with plenty of organic matter um, to lighten the soil and uh, also to uh, to, to a, a allow better drainage through the soil before planting a poppy back in there. Um, the next uh, question is from Penny Grodzika, um, whose uh, five-year-old daughter Constance planted an apple pip last year and now has a tiny little tree about 10 centimetres or four inches high in a pot um, and she wonders how she should best care for it. Well, I, I guess growing uh, all sorts of plants from pips and seeds that you come across in the, the kitchen is a, a good way of getting children started with gardening and uh, apple pips are, are some of the best ones along with citrus, lemon and orange and so on. Probably uh, not a good idea to expect the next Cox's Orange Pippin, but you should still be able to get a decent tree uh, in a few years' time. So this this little tree, over the summer, case of keeping it watered and feeding it just any general uh, plant food, will liquid plant food will keep it growing uh, right into the autumn. Be aware it's a plant that will need to be outside over the winter. You don't want to cosset it on a windowsill or whatever. It needs the winter chilling. But to place somewhere outside, perhaps uh, after you've repotted, if it starts to fill the pot, then certainly go up a, a size or two. And ideally use a Johnny's number three loam-based compost. And uh, 
then outside in a sheltered spot, good light, but uh, not uh, somewhere where it's going to get the pot is going to get actually actually saturated. And it's a case of growing it on. And uh, perhaps after a year or two, it might be a case of a little bit of pruning. Uh, don't clip away the lower shoots too early. They help thicken up the stem. But uh, once it's uh, made a reasonable height, then uh, in the winter, you'll normally take the top out to encourage it to branch and form what we call an open topped bush. Um, or open-centred bush rather um, even apple trees are often called bushes uh, which can be a little bit confusing to the to the novice but uh, definitely um, a great way to get children started with growing uh, all sorts of uh, trees and other crops we get an awful lot of questions in the rhs advice service about um, apples grown from pips and uh, it's surprising how often they they actually crop and if you look around at uh, where bus shelters are and places like that you see self-sown apple trees growing from where people have thrown their apple cores and often these produce quite acceptable fruit so i'm reasonably hopeful um that by the time uh constance reaches her 10th or 12th birthday there'll be um fruits on her tree and uh with any luck if the tree should live long enough um so that constance's daughters can collect pips and grow some and can become a family tradition Remember, RHS members can contact our advice team by phone, email or letter for free help with any gardening queries. If you'd like details on how you can become a member of the RHS and many other benefits members receive, just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. I'm Tony Dickerson and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Now to Japan via Wales. Bonsai is the art of growing dwarf trees and shrubs from seedlings or rooted cuttings. It requires careful training, pruning and container restriction. The latter gives bonsai its name, which translates to tray cultivation. This is a fun and beautiful way of cultivating plants on a miniature scale. One of the foremost bonsai cultivators in the UK is John Trott, who runs the Mendip Bonsai Studio in Wales. John has been giving talks about the art and technique of bonsai at RHS flower shows throughout the summer. We asked him about the attractions of this exquisite and ancient garden art. My name's uh, John Trott. Um, I run the Mendip Bonsai Studio near Shepton Mallet in Somerset. Bonsai, it actually means plant, or should we say tree in a tray or in a pot, and uh, not to be confused with just any old house plant put in a pot, uh, but it's actually a styled tree. It's meant to look like a miniature tree in real life. We can use most species, but if they've got very large leaves, then it's more difficult. So we tend to look at the leaf size, um, although the leaf size can be reduced there are many thousands of species that you can use. Bonsai originated in China and then with the aid of Buddhist monks later on, several centuries later, it went into Japan. So and then from Japan it then went on into the Western Hemisphere. I think indoors though, in some respects, bonsai has been portrayed wrongly because a lot of people think that bonsai should be kept indoors and it's totally the wrong aspect. There's only certain species which will grow indoors. majority of bonsai should be outdoors, because after all, it's a plant which is, is grows outside. And we're forcing it to go indoors, and that's why they suffer sometimes. Many years ago now, when I was a lot, lot younger, when I was still at school, when um, there was a Japanese garden near where I used to walk the dog up into the fields, and I used to wander in awe at this array of Japanese maples, and they used to have pagodas and buddhas all sorts it was oriental and i think that was how it started 
46 years ago. Now, if, if you're going to choose a bonsai, what you have to first of all think about is, and I would like them to think that way, I'm going to grow the tree outside. But you then have to look at it. Some people have not got gardens, so they have to look at growing in a flat. So you are limited to what ones will grow inside a flat or inside a house. Um, and I always try to encourage them to go for something small as a starter. It's no good going in, shall I say, getting something expensive big and then you lose it through not having the knowledge to keep the tree growing. So start with something small, something outdoors, beach, larch, um, Japanese maple, juniper. But when you're going indoors, it's generally Chinese elms, cerises, there's a few other ones indoors, but generally start them off with something gentle. The key to maintaining a bonsai, what I always say to people is, the first thing you have to consider is commitment. If you've not got commitment, bonsai is not for you. Watering is the main commitment. So an outdoor bonsai normally would have to be watered at least once a day. Um, obviously in the winter times, we don't worry uh, unless you've got a real dry winter, but it's normally once a day outdoors because you've got to remember not only on a, uh, when it's hot, when it's sunny, but on a cloudy day, if you've got the wind blowing, it evaporates the moisture out of the pot. It's no good going away on holiday for two weeks expecting to come back and find your bonsai nice and healthy. I can assure you it won't be. So you've got to look at it. Watering is the first thing you've got to look at. When you're growing them inside, they need to be kept moist. So indoors, it could be once a day in a hot location. It could be once a week. So then it's a question of where do you site the tree? Um, if it's outdoors, you want perhaps a semi-shaded position is best. Fertilizer, they need fertilizer about every two, three weeks if you're using a soluble feed. If you're using slow-release fertilizer in way of granules, then about once every six to eight weeks. And then what you do to keep it in shape, you trim the foliage, perhaps about three times during a growing season, four times, um, to keep the shape of it. You might want to restyle it, so you might want to take a little bit more out of it. Um, we repot them, but we only repot them as and when necessary. So when the pot is full up a root, water won't penetrate the root mass, it's time to repot. Generally, we do that in the spring, around about we say late winter spring about february march time indoors slightly different looking after them they want a nice light position plenty of light if the light levels are low they do what they do naturally low light levels means as autumn drop their leaves um, they want to be out of draft so not next to a window which is going to be constantly opened that will make them drop the leaves and if you got them near a source of heat like a radiator underneath a windowsill they'll also drop the leaves and they'll probably cook as well. So that's the basis of keeping a bonsai. A question that I'm always asked is, how long does a bonsai grow? I've been in Japan and I've seen trees eight and 900 years old. What do you have to remember? Bonsai, a tree is being cared for, it's being looked after by us, who we consider ourselves to be custodians in time. So the tree is being looked after. It doesn't have the rigors of being in nature where you could have hurricanes, um, flooding, um, man digging them out. You know, all these elements can destroy a tree and you will find they live a lot longer lifespan than they do in nature. 
Um, my own tree that I've got, my first tree, is around about 50 years old. I collected it when it was about four years old, and that was 46 years ago. John Trott from the Mendip Bonsai Studio. There's more information about bonsai on the advice pages of the RHS website, plus general gardening tips and guides to seasonal jobs. rhs.org.uk forward slash advice. On the website, you can find details of events and activities happening in our four RHS gardens. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens and click on what's on. Coming up soon, art and craft lovers are sport for choice at the RHS gardens in late August and early September. Whether your passion is jewellery, textiles or sculpture, you'll find something special at our quality exhibitions and fairs. Plant fairs are a great way to stock up your beds and borders. Buy quality plants, choose from the unusual plants not commonly found in garden centres and take the opportunity to ask growers for advice on how to get the best from your purchases. They will be at Rosemore the 31st of August, Harlow Carr the 7th of September and Hyde Hall the 20th to the 21st of September. Wisley Flower Show is a six-day floor extravaganza featuring the National Dahlia Society annual show, special breakfast previews and more. Browse and buy from RHS Chelsea and Hampton Court Palace Flower Show medal winners, along with other specialist nurseries and garden trade stands who will be showcasing their top quality plants and garden sundries in early September. Or why not create your own family adventure this summer with our Great Garden Quest to the 31st of August, sponsored by Witten Investment Trust. And here's Alexis Pym to tell us more. Hello, my name's Alexis Pym. I'm the Education and Learning Manager for RHS Garden Wisley. So this summer we have the Great Garden Quest. So we're asking children to come on a journey and they're going to learn all about the skills they need to go on that journey. So that includes whether it's making the costumes, whether it's learning the skills, creating a map or even making your own crown or magic wand. So we've got six weeks over the summer holidays, but that includes a Dragon Quest trail. So the Dragon Quest trail is all about a lovely, very friendly dragon, but she's had her fire stolen by trolls. So what we're asking the kids to do is come and find all the clues in the garden and if they find all the clues that's including talking to the Trixie Pixies and the wizards and the green man then if they find all the clues around the garden then they will find the fire to return it to the dragon. So that's on all the time through the whole of the six weeks from the 24th of July to the 1st of September and then each week there are different activities everything from making clay talismans to growing different plants to doing clay sculpture in the trees there's going to be archery and sword fighting workshops all sorts of things throughout the summer and even better than all of that we have a barefoot trail. So the barefoot trail, the exact idea behind it is that you take your shoes and socks off and you step into the barefoot trail and you walk through um, a, a section of the Pinetum where there is mud and stepping stones and grass and long grass and short grass and pebbles and bark and literally you're going to get all muddy and feeling all these different feelings and, and on your feet and all the different smells and then at the end of it you can wash your feet if you like but the whole idea is it's all barefoot and all just exploring. The Barefoot Trail and the Dragon Quest Trail are open all summer, all the time. So you don't need to book. You can just turn up any time into the garden. And all of our craft workshops are free and available every day, Monday to Thursday. So you can turn up on any of those. The only things you need to book for is if you want to come and do some sword fighting or archery. Everything else, you can just turn up. So there's 
three new things this year that we're trying for the first time. So the first is a creepy crawly workshop. So you can come and meet um, some very strange animals. So we have a wiggly wild workshop and a creepy crawly workshop. So for some of those you need to book if you want to meet the creatures face to face. For other ones you can just come and meet them um, any day during that weekend. So that's two of the weekends in the summer. And then also on the 16th and 17th of August we are very lucky to have the National GB timber sports team doing lumberjack displays on two days they're going to be doing axe racing and hot saw racing uh, throughout the day and they'll be amazing to watch they are a really fantastically skilled team and they're going to do all six of the disciplines for lumberjacks all four gardens have got the dragon quest trail all four gardens have got practical workshops and storytelling and all of the things like map making and all those things throughout the summer. So I think all four gardens as well have all the archery and things. So there are similar things at all the gardens, but um, this is the only place with the timber sports. If you go onto the garden page for each of the gardens and their events section, there are, um, a, there's a daily breakdown. So you can download a lovely sheet that tells you happening, what's happening every day at each of the gardens. If you plan to sharpen your fork, get outside and tackle some of those bigger gardening jobs, here's some suggestions of tasks this month. My name's Matthew Pottage and I'm the garden manager here at RHS Garden Wisley. One thing I want to kick off about today is watering. We're obviously in August now, there's still a lot of active plant growth. We've had a bit of rain, but watering of pots, of plants that are standing out maybe just for the summer, or even things in the beds and the borders. People don't get watering right, and it seems like such a basic thing, and you see it done wrong time and time again, and it's something that we train our students and our staff here with quite meticulously, because there are ways of effectively watering, and obviously water costs money, you know, it's the environment we're throwing onto our gardens, so watering responsibly is important. Some of my top tips would be, first of all, watering first thing in the morning or last thing in an evening. Don't go out in the middle of the heat of the day when that water is going to evaporate quickly. And then think, where does a plant take up water? It takes up through its roots. So try and get the water close to the roots as possible. Whenever I'm given a hose or if I'm watering for someone or I go home to my parents and I say to my dad, you know, get us a hose out, I'm going to water these plants in. The first thing I do is take off the rose on the end and all these funny squirty arms and sprinklers and a lance that does 15 different hose patterns. I'm not interested in these patterns. I want to water the plants. So I take all these all these gubbins off the end of the hose. I've got a simple open-ended hose, double it through the leaves of the plants to the soil, get the water to the roots where it's needed. You know, there is a time and a place for a sprinkler, but if you, if you are going to go down that route, try and put it on at night or in the evening when it's still, when the water's not going to get blown around. And you need to leave it running for, you know, a serious amount of time so that water penetrates the roots. It's no good just wetting the leaves. The leaves don't actively drink water like the roots do. And then rake around and look at the soil. How far has that water got down? Always the best way for me is straight to the soil. If you're watering a pot, stand there until that water runs out the bottom. You need to wet the whole profile. And none of this dusting over the leaves. It really doesn't help effective use of water and water your plants thoroughly and maybe less often so a good thorough water say three times a week for a patio pot maybe depending on the size and the plants of course but what I'm trying to say to you is a good thorough watering rather than a little sprinkle over every five minutes is the effective way to go about it. Well we're out of time on this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight with a special feature presented by botanist James Wong about techniques to produce the most intense flavour from vegetables you grow yourself at home. Until then, from me, 
Tony Dickerson and all the podcast team, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Crest robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Crest robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit Cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.